for the reading of the scriptures. Luke chapter number two. I'll read aloud and ask you to follow along as I read, beginning in verse eight. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in their field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. I want us to, this morning as we go through this chapter, to answer three important questions concerning what God wants us to know about Christmas. What does God want us to know about Christmas? Now, we know what Walmart wants you to know, and Macy's wants you to know, and what our commercial world, amen? We know what they want us to think about Christmas. You know, get out those wallets, swipe those credit cards, and, you know, just do all the things. But what does God want us to know about Christmas? That's what we want to see this morning. Father, I pray this morning as we gather again in this place around your word, that, Lord, you will uh, turn our hearts again to your son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. And, Lord, with a sense of amazement, of wonder, Lord, with appreciation for the grace that was shown in this greatest of all gifts ever given. And, Father, that by the time we're done, that uh, maybe we will take the next couple of days, uh, some thoughts and emotions into Christmas that might have been lacking before this moment. Uh, Lord, I think there's important truths for us to hear and learn, things that we can apply. And I just pray that you give us hearing ears and, and hearts willing to change this morning. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Our first hymn this morning, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, written by Charles Wesley. And if you were go back and just see the, the, the hymns that the Wesleys wrote, and there's a lot of them, they are rich in Bible doctrine. I mean, they speak the language of Scripture. And Hark the Herald Angels Sing is no difference, not an exception. We sang, and I don't know it's so familiar to us if we really caught what we were saying, but we sang of God and sinners reconciled. That's Bible language. That's Romans chapter 3 language. We sang about Christ 
the everlasting Lord. That's Micah chapter 5, verse 2, the ruler that's to come from old, from everlasting, born in Bethlehem. We're saying born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. John chapter 3, ye must be born again. The hymns of Charles Wesley breathe Bible, and we sang those truths this morning. We sang about the bruising of the serpent's head from Genesis 3, the prophecy of Emmanuel from Isaiah 7. In four brief verses, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, give us a complete summary of the main message of the Bible. You have all the key truths of the Christian faith in that one hymn that we sung at the beginning of our service. Now this week, I got in my car and punched a button that took me to a news channel. Only it wasn't news. It was, hark the herald angels sing. I was shopping. I don't remember if it was Petco, PetSmart, Fries, someplace. And I found myself humming along and I realized, huh, hark the herald angels sing. I mean, do you realize how frequently that song is played at this time of the year everywhere i mean you just go any place and hear it and people who would not identify themselves as christians are familiar with it they hum along they sing they might go caroling and include it in their uh, uh songs that they do and and here are people that are singing all the great truths of christianity Everything that God would want somebody to know at Christmas time in this one hymn. And yet, how many of them will let this Christmas pass them by without ever really experiencing Christmas? What does God want us to know about Christmas? What does God want us to know about the birth of Jesus? The answer to that is found here in the message of the angels and the shepherds their trip to Bethlehem. And I want us to look at just three things that, that, that God wants us to know about Christmas this morning. Basic things, simple things, but they're truths that have the capacity to change people's hearts and lives for eternity when we understand them. Notice, first of all, what does God want you to know about Christmas? God wants you to know who was in the manger. God wants you to know the identity of that baby in the manger. In verse number 8, we have the very famous story, the shepherds abiding in their field, doing what shepherds do, keeping watch over their flocks by night. The angel comes and gives them the birth announcement of Jesus Christ. Uh, that's what the angel is there to do. He is to tell them that Jesus has been born. Now, their appearance of the angel caused the shepherds to be terrified. The Bible uses the term great fear. They were greatly alarmed. They were sore afraid. Uh, these men, their knees were knocking, and I'm just assuming that would be true of any of us if we had that experience. The angel quickly calms their fear and then uh, fulfills the mission that God had given to him to tell them of the baby born in Bethlehem. And so in verse 11, we have these words that are very familiar to us. For unto you is born this day... In the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The birth announcement 
of Jesus. I want you to look at that and let me just kind of dissect it a minute. Uh, consider its grammar. But it's a statement that is composed of two clauses and they're important ones. First is this words unto you. And to complete that thought, you have to go all the way where it says, a savior, unto you, a savior. That's part of the message. What this is all about is God has given something unto you, and this something is a savior. And then we read, born, well, who was born? Christ the Lord. So two clauses, unto you, a savior. Who is he? Christ the Lord. Who is it in the manger? Well, the first thing we realize is it is Christ the Lord. Now, that Jesus was born, and let's not dismiss that word too readily, for unto you is born this day. That Jesus was born reminds us or speaks to us of his humanity. What I mean is that Jesus was human. When you read that Jesus was born, the idea is he is human. That tiny little baby that Mary cradled in her arms was not a spirit, was not a phantom. He was flesh and blood, a real human baby. The conception of Jesus was supernatural. It was accomplished in the womb of virgin without the aid of a man. Uh, God alone caused that to happen. The conception was supernatural, but the birth was absolutely normal. It was a baby born in Bethlehem. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 says, For as much then as the children, that's us, are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. Now because Jesus was human, Jesus understands what it means for you to be you and me to be me. So what do you mean by that? Well, he knows what it is to feel pain. Anybody deal with a few aches and pains this last week? Jesus knows what it is to feel grief. Anybody have a heavy heart this past week? Well, Jesus understands because he knows what it means for you to be you. He knows what it's like to live in this world as a human being because that's the way he came into this world. That Jesus was born speaks to his humanity. When you talk to Jesus about your problems, when you're just feeling the pressures of life upon your shoulders, when there's just some great need that is weighing you down, Jesus understands because he was one of us. That he was born speaks of his humanity. That he is Christ speaks of his royalty. Now, the word Christ that we find in the New Testament is identical to the Hebrew word Messiah. And it's really a title. Now, when we get to the end of the New Testament, uh, it becomes like a name to Jesus. It's a title like doctor or professor, but sometimes you get on a personal uh, 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 relationship with your doctor, and so you don't call him doctor so-and-so. You say, how you doing, doc? You know, it's become part of their name. That's the way Christ has become, but it's really a title, and it means anointed one. Here is someone who served God by divine appointment, and so this word would use that anointing, the fact that God put them in that position that they served. In the Old Testament, prophets, priests, and kings all held divine appointments, and they were considered anointed ones. So you read the word Christ, it means anointed one. Now, Jesus actually fulfilled all three of those Old Testament offices. 
Jesus was a prophet. You go back in your Bible, Matthew chapter number 3, when Jesus begins his public ministry, the Bible says he came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus came preaching, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Jesus was a prophet. And in that anointed capacity, he came preaching to people. He's also a priest. The Bible makes it very clear in the book of Hebrews that Jesus had an offering to give. He offered himself upon the cross. He sacrificed his life for our sins. And so Jesus was prophet and Jesus was priest. But primarily in the New Testament, you read that word Christ and it reminds us that Jesus is king. From the earliest days of Christianity, the followers of Christ looked at Jesus as their king. It's what got them in trouble eventually with Rome and its emperors because they refused to acknowledge any king over their lives other than King Jesus. So you read the word Christ, it's a word that speaks of the royalty of Jesus. He is king. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17, the apostle Paul writes to him and says, unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And he means Jesus, king. In Revelation 15, 3, the Bible tells us the day is going to come when they are going to sing the song of the lamb. Now, Jesus is the lamb, amen? He's the lamb of God that came to take away the sins of the world. So what do they sing? Well, here's the words. Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. That's the song of the Lamb. It's sung about Jesus, and he's identified as the Lord God, but most of all, King of the saints. So whenever we speak of Jesus being Christ, it's a word of royalty. Jesus is King. Because he's a king, he has a kingdom. Now, just for the record, Jesus rules all creation. He says, all authority in heaven and in earth is given unto me. It's in that authority that Jesus commanded us, his people, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He has a kingdom, and he has subjects. Now, right now, the subjects of Jesus are those who have received Jesus as their Savior. In the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 13, the Bible declares that the Christian has been delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of Jesus. So Jesus is a king, and he has a kingdom. And right now, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a subject of King Jesus. Now, I don't know about you. I have no problem with that. In fact, I kind of like that. I like to know that there's somebody bigger than the president, <laughs> bigger than the Congress, bigger than any other authority there is in the end i answer one king only king jesus he's king now one day all creation is going to recognize the kingship of jesus philippians chapter 2 verses 9 10 and 11 Speaking of Jesus, this one who made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, born. It says, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, 
Now, you say, what does that mean, every? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Because it says, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That Jesus was born speaks of his humanity. He became one of us. That Jesus Christ speaks of his royalty. He is king. Christmas is the celebration of the birth of King Jesus. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Those final two words, the Lord, speak of Jesus' deity. Jesus is God. He is not a God. He's not like God. And by the way, he's not a man who became God. No, exactly the opposite is true, the Bible teaches. He is God who became man. When we say he's born Christ the Lord, we understand that that baby was not just human. He was every bit human. He was human as I am or, and, and you are. But he was also God. God's nature and man's nature merged into one at the birth of Jesus Christ. You sang about it. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Thomas, he that has seen me has seen the Father. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Deity that has come in flesh. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Christ speaks of his royalty. The Lord speaks of his deity. Luke wants us to know who's in the manger. It's not just God who made us. It's not just someone who loves us. Jesus is God who became one of us when he was born in Bethlehem. Who's in the manger of Bethlehem? It was Jesus Christ the Lord, our Savior, our King, and our God. Now, number two, what does God want us to know about Christmas? God wants you to know why Jesus came. God wants you to know why Jesus came. Unto you, a Savior. Unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Jesus came to be my Savior, your Savior, the world's Savior. Jesus came to save sinners from their sins. The Apostle Paul never lost consciousness of what it meant to be a sinner who had been saved by Jesus. Again, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he said, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. You shouldn't argue it. You shouldn't debate it. You shouldn't deny it. You just need to believe it, Paul says. Worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I preached on that several months ago as we're going through the book of 1 Timothy. What Paul was saying there is he was the worst sinner that he knew. And the reality is, I'm the worst sinner I know, and you're the worst sinner that you know. 
Because the only person who knows you better than you do is God. The God who became one of us so he could be our savior from sin. Paul said this is worthy of all acceptation. If you struggle with it, you need to stop denying it. You just need to believe it. Jesus came to save sinners. He was born a savior. He wasn't born a role model. He wasn't born a life coach. He wasn't born to be a good teacher. He was born to be a savior. He came to save sinners from their sins. Somebody would say, well, I thought, I thought Jesus came to love us. Well, he did. I thought Jesus came to comfort us. He did. I thought Jesus came to fill our hearts with hope and joy and peace. He did. But he can't do any of those things until he saves you first. Before Jesus is anything else, he is Savior. And he wants to be your Savior. God said, unto you is born this day. Now, the angel could take that message anywhere. He could have gone into Jerusalem. He could have knocked on the door of the high priest of Israel. And whenever, whoever that was, opened it up, or Caiaphas or whoever, he could have said, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. He could have went to Herod's palace, knocked at the gate, and when had that audience, looked him in the eye and said, Herod, you sly fox, you. Unto you, you who's married to somebody you shouldn't be married to, you who's murdered so many people, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Jesus came to save you. Who is it in the manger? Christ the Lord. Our Savior, our God, our King. Why did he come? He came to be man's Savior. He came to save sinners from their sins. He came to save me and he came to save you. In fact, in verse number 10, the angel begins by saying, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. This isn't just reserved for shepherds, and it certainly wasn't just reserved for the religious folks. It wasn't reserved for people like Herod. It's for everybody. All men, all races, all tongues, all nationalities. Jesus Christ came to be your Savior. Have you ever asked yourself why the angel was sent to announce the birth of Christ to shepherds? I mean, why not the priests in Israel? I mean, the shepherds weren't known for being particularly religious people. So why the shepherds? Well, somewhere between the generations of the Old Testament and the New, the time of King David, the shepherd king, and when Jesus was born, the reputation of shepherds had fallen on really hard times. Shepherds were regarded as thieves and liars. Um, they were shunned by the average Israelite as unclean and profane individuals. If you want to find a class of people who might identify with the shepherds today in our culture, it would be the homeless people who live in the alleys and under the overpasses in our big cities. I mean, come on, they make the news and... It's a big problem, and how do we clean up the messes they make, and all the things. That's kind of the way the shepherds were viewed. 
they were seen as a problem that just had to be put up with because they did a job that was dirty but necessary. They were considered a blight on Jewish society. I believe that God chose the shepherds to be the first to hear of the birth of Jesus to make a point. And that is that Jesus came to be the Savior of all people, and that means all kinds of people. It means those people that we think least likely to respond to the gospel have just as much access to the gospel as anyone does. The moral person and the immoral person, either one can and must be saved the same way by Jesus. The religious man, the man who claims no religion. Jesus came to save those whom society favors and who society rejects. I heard of a lady that had received Christ as Savior in, in church, and she'd gone home so excited, called up her family to tell them that she got saved. And um, her, her, there just wasn't much to her life to credit all right, she was just like a wicked person. And the response that she got over and over again is, <laughs> really? So you just go to church one time and you pray a little prayer, and now you're a Christian. Ha, 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 ha. And they belittled her and made fun of her and mocked her. And the pastor followed up in her home. Just go by, you know, normal pastoral thing. Got saved on Sunday, let me come by. And when she opened the door and he saw her, or she opened the door and saw him, she burst out into tears. It can't really be true, is it? There's got to be something more, isn't there? Before God will save somebody like me. And the pastor said, no. It's whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord. The reason why you're saved and your family isn't is because you recognize you need it. And they think they're good enough. Jesus came to save anybody. He came to save you. Who's in the manger? Christ the Lord. Born Christ the Lord. God who became man. God who today is our king. Why was he born? To be a savior. To be the savior of the world. To be my savior and yours. So what does God want us to do with this truth? Maybe you're here uh, uh, today in a fresh way, and you're saying, well, he's not my Savior. Or maybe you're here, and you've heard it many times over. I mean, Jesus has been your Savior for a long time. What does God want us to do with the truth of Christmas today? Well, verse 15 is very easily misunderstood. Now, I want you to look at it in your Bibles, if you would. It says, it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven... The shepherds said one to another. You know what they're discussing? What are we supposed to do? <laughs> I mean, wow, an angel, a choir, <laughs> all this mind-blowing information we have. What are we supposed to do? And you notice they say, let us now go even unto Bethlehem, pay attention to the words, and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known to us. They didn't say, let us go and see if this thing has come to pass. 
They had already reached the conclusion. They had heard the truth. They believed the message they heard. They just wanted to go see for themselves the baby that was announced to them. Whenever the shepherds took their first step out of those fields towards the manger, they already believed the message that they had heard. In other words, they had put their faith in what was said to them by the angel. We say, what does God want me to do with what I've heard this morning? If you've never believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, God wants you to believe that that person born in the manger, whose birthday we will celebrate in a couple of days, it was Jesus Christ the Lord, the God of eternity, who came into this world in human form. He became what you are so he could save you from what you've become because of sin in your life. He gave his life in payment for sin. He shed his blood for your forgiveness. He rose from the dead that you might know that he is alive and he can keep the promise he made that whosoever believeth on me hath everlasting life. Those are not the words of a dead man lying in a grave. They're the words of a living Savior, and they're still powerful today. If you will believe that Jesus is Christ the Lord, if you'll put your faith in him, the one who came to be your Savior, he will save you this morning. If you've never trusted Christ, then what am I supposed to do with what I've heard? Would you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Number one, would you admit you need one? Would you admit that you're a sinner? Okay. You have lied. By the way, I did once. Okay, probably more than once. Okay, no probably about it. Okay. Let's just be totally honest here, okay? Newsflash, Christ, I mean, a pastor sizzled in church on Sunday morning. And uh, we all lie. We've all stolen we failed to give God the preeminence he deserved. Thou shalt have no other God before me. And we put all kinds of things before God. <laughs> Would you just be honest enough? You're a sinner. Would you believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior? There's not another one. Nobody else can claim to be virgin born. Nobody else died on a cross for your sins. No one else was placed in a grave, which, by the way, to this day is still empty. You can go look inside for yourself. He is not there still. Would you believe that Jesus Christ is Savior? And would you call upon him to save you? Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I did that when I was 13 years old. The best I knew how. I said, God, I know I'm a sinner. I don't deserve to go to heaven when I die. But I believe that Jesus died for me. The best I know how. I ask him to save me. According to the Bible, he did. I've been enjoying it now for like 45 years. <laughs> Would you let Jesus save you today if you've never trusted him as your savior? It's not about being a religious person. It's about being a sinner who's been saved by the one born to be a savior. Your savior. Now I know many of you here, you're already saved. You know that. Well, there is something else to do with this message. It's exactly what the shepherds did. They went out and told everybody that Jesus had been born. <laughs> They'd found him. 
It had become personal. It wasn't just a message that they heard from an angel. They had seen him with their eyes. The babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lied in that manger, just like the angel had said, Christ their Lord. They went out, and they told everybody they could. You know, you, you are not meant to go to heaven alone. If you're saved, you ought to be taking people with you, telling other people what Jesus Christ has done for you. Who is it in the manger? It's Christ the Lord. God who became man today is the king of those who believe in him and one day will be king of everything. Why did he come? To be a savior. To be your savior. What should I do with the truth about Christmas? Well, believe it and receive Christ as your savior. And if you've done that, then tell other people that you have found Jesus and they can now know him as well. See, God sent the angels to the shepherds so that we could know who Jesus is, why Jesus was born, and what we should do with this good news. We need a savior, and because of Christmas, we have one. That's what Christmas means. We need a savior, and because of Christmas, we have one. So let me just issue you a few cautions this morning as we wrap up. And not just the things we've just heard, but some, some attitudes that we need to avoid this Christmas season. One of them is this. Don't sell Christmas short. Uh, no, celebrate all the good and wonderful things that you can do at this season here. And I'm glad for them all. The time spent with family, the, the uh, getting together and enjoying a good meal, giving and, 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 and receiving gifts. I mean, come on, I, I enjoy Christmas. There's a lot of joy to be had in Christmas the way we celebrate it. But remember, Christmas is about Christ. Christmas is not about children, and it's not about family, and it's not about gift giving, and it's not about trees, and it's not about lights. Christmas is about Jesus. It is the birth of Jesus Christ. It is about God who became one of us. It's about God who came to save us. It's about God who came to rule over us. Let me just tell you this. Nobody can do a better job of ruling your life than Jesus can. So don't sell Christmas short. Don't settle for all the tinsel and glitter that goes with it. Make sure that you have the real Christmas because you have Christ. Secondly, be careful about judging any person's receptivity to the gospel. I mean, the average Jew of that day, if you look at shepherd, scribe. They just said, oh, well. Shepherds, pretty shady characters. I'm not sure they'd even care about this message. Those scribes, they've been looking for it for a long time. They accept Jesus just like that. Oh, the life of Jesus demonstrates differently, doesn't it? It's the scribes and Pharisees who cried out for his crucifixion, the religious people. It was sinners that believed in Jesus as their Savior. Be careful about looking at somebody and say, well, they're too rich. They'd never, they'd, never, they'd never believe in Jesus as their Savior. They're too educated or, or they're too wicked. They're too reprobate. Be careful about judging any person's receptiveness to the gospel. And the last thing is this. Don't keep Christmas to yourself. And I don't mean make sure you go out and wish everybody a Merry Christmas. No. Make sure you tell everybody about the Christ of Christmas. Because without Jesus, Christmas means nothing. 
Christmas is Christ. God, who became one of us, that he might save us from what sin has made of us so we could live with him forever in heaven. Ever in heaven. Would you put your faith in Jesus, your Savior today, and then would you just go out and share with other people, this is what Christmas means, and this is what Jesus has done for me. Let's stand, please, this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed.